0: my whole life. So the only time I haven't been here is when I was interning at a children's home and orphanage in Mexico um, right out of high school. I did that. Um, and then when I went to Southern Miss to the top um, and then did an internship in Atlanta. So I have my degree in Child and Family Studies with an emphasis in child life and child development. And so um, in the process of doing all of that I came back to New Orleans re-fell in love with my husband, who's back there to support me. It's a long story. Um, And then we have three kiddos. I have um, an eight-year-old named Titus, and a six-year-old named Joya, and an almost two-year-old named Phineas. And um, Sam and I have been married almost 11 years, which is kind of crazy. So, I am speaking on just relating to people in love and grace this morning. And, um, like all the speakers have done before me, I really just want you guys to know that I am totally speaking with you guys. This is a, a work in progress. I don't know about y'all, but I didn't realize that I had an anger issue until I had children. Um, and so loving people and loving little ones and loving husbands and loving Friends and things like that in the middle of some difficulty um, is something the Lord's kind of been working on me for my whole life and especially uh, these last few weeks. So I can just let you into my life a little bit. Had you walked into my house January 3rd, you would have been dodging stuffed animals or soft friends, as my children call them. I was throwing down the stairs. you would have probably covered your ears from the screamings of, I hate you, and this isn't fair, and I wish I had a different mommy coming from my son's room, and you would have probably stopped yourself from asking if I needed help as I angrily and tearfully walked down the stairs with three dresser drawers filled with toys because he was in trouble and he was not going to have any fun, and I had put every single toy in his room in those dresser drawers, and I was walking down the stairs almost to my death. And um, and so what would cause this, you ask? A five-minute math review sheet, right? <laughs> so whether you're a homeschool mom or whether you're a mom who does homework with your kids after school, I think we've all done this. But um, we were coming to the end of a homeschool season. It was a short season for us because we were waiting to transition into a new house in a different school zone. And so um, it had been tough. And I knew it was going to be a fight. I knew it was going to be a battle. I just didn't expect it. To be this bad. So he was hurt and angry, and I was hurt and angry. And as I went and sat down on the sofa to feel all of the emotions of guilt, you know how we do, ladies, <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my sin is so ugly. And then I'm thinking about his sin and how ugly his sin is. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's only seven, and this is what his anger looks like. What's it gonna look like when he's 15? What's it gonna look like when he's 20? What's it gonna look like when he gets married? Oh my god, his poor wife, I'm ruining him, right? So there I am, freaking out, and then my phone dings. And there I get a text message from my friend Ashley Vogel saying, you know, I've been praying about who the speaker is going to be in May, and I just really think it should be you, and I think you need to talk to people about relating in love. And she then goes on to say, I think you'd be great, all caps. Y'all, this is a true story. And I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) So here I am totally speaking with you. This is not speaking at you, and I kind of wish that we were in our living room. I'm not nervous, but my body does this shaking thing when I stand up in front of people, so hopefully it'll stop. But um, it's just really all I'm speaking to you about is things that the Lord has revealed to me through things in my life, the things that he has revealed to me through the wisdom of other people, and the things that he's revealed to me through his word. So um, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where your head space is. I don't know how your morning was with your kiddos. I don't know what your relationship with your husband's been like. Um, If you're in the middle of a situation with a friend or family member, if you have hurt feelings, or if you're in a fight with someone, I really don't know. But I know that I've been praying for this morning, and I really hope that you leave here encouraged and refreshed, um, that you feel loved by your heavenly Father, and by knowing and feeling loved by him, you feel empowered to go out and love the people around you. So we're going to just dive in. We're going to hit on Romans 12 like we've been doing, but I'm going to read Romans 12, 9 through 21, and then at the end we'll hit on the verse that we've been doing with fanning your flame um, in verse 12. So here we go. So Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, who, huh? <laughs> like that's a lot of stuff. Actually, the title of that chapter is "The Marks of a True Christian." So you can imagine, after I had my episode with my son, seeing that, I'm like, yeah, I should probably question my salvation about right now. But um, I don't know if you're like me, but I read things like that, and typically, I'll just put this weight of guilt on me. And I'll just think, I am failing so much. But I want right now that as we listen to the rest of this, I want you guys to think about the fact, something the Lord's been showing me, is that the Bible has been preserved for thousands of years. His word is still active and present and living. And it's not supposed to be condemning. It's his kindness that's speaking to us. So think when you read, and what I'm going to say, it's kindness, it's not condemnation. So words like these are just to remind us what it's like to be a Christian, what it's like to be Jesus and how it is to be Jesus to other people. So we're going to jump in. I had to come up with points or I just really would have talked all day. So point number one is that every relationship in our lives is a gift. And I know you might be thinking, I don't know about that, but as we all know, there's lots of different kinds of gifts that we receive, right? Different shapes, different sizes. So for me, the first gift we is the known gift like it's Christmas or it's your birthday, you know it's coming, Um, it's expected, it's something you want, it's something you have a use for, it's something that's good. If any of you guys know my husband, when it comes around to his birthday, Father's Day, or Christmas, you ask Sam what he wants, and by the end of the day, you will have an Amazon link texted to you, and you click it, you buy it, get shipped to home, you wrap it, and he is just as thrilled to receive that as something that is a surprise. So these are the people in your life who are easy. You choose to be around them. They're predictable, they're comfortable. These are like your sweat sh- your sweatpants and t-shirt kind of friends. You don't feel like you have to put airs on. They're just easy and comfortable and chosen. Then you have the random happy, as my mother-in-law calls them. Um, this is the gift that is given unexpectedly, for no reason, and you love it. It's not something you would have gone out and bought for yourself, but now every time you see it and use it, it brings you joy. These are the relationships that come because of random happenings. You show up at mops and you're put at a random table. You brought a meal to a stranger who became a best friend. You have coffee with an acquaintance because they're struggling in life, and a real friendship develops. You meet somebody at a play date. You move to a new state and you make dear friends. You go on a date with somebody and they become your husband so all of these things require a yes that kind of makes you step outside of your comfort zone and in the process the lord gives you just a wonderful gift of friendship then you have the re-gift now don't y'all hate i love a re-gift um so this is sometimes you already have something and you want to pass it along to someone who might need it or like it more than you you can just ask my friend angel over there um we have a fun story because angel and nick got married shortly after sam and i did and so we had already had all our showers and it was time for them to have their showers and i had like three or four crockpots i didn't need and so i was like well i'm sure angela needs a crockpot and we're poor and we don't have money to buy a new gift so i'm gonna give Angel a crockpot public service announcement when you re-gift best thing is to take the card off of it that the person gave you <laughs> before you give it to someone else but we're good enough friends that we like still laugh about it to this day <laughs> so I'm going to make a stretch here, but in relationship terms, this is the gift of someone who has gone before you collected wisdom and insights and gifts in their own life and are filled with excess knowledge and wisdom to pour out on us. You get it. So these are your mentor moms. These are your real moms. These are your mother-in-laws. These are the older women in the church. And this can even be just somebody who's just ahead of you in your season of life, who's spurring you on that you can keep going. And then we have the unwanted gift. So, for us, every year this was like our Christmas gift from my Aunt Leslie. Or really, any gift from my Aunt Leslie. Um, we, I don't even know sometimes what we were getting, but we always saved her present for last at Christmas. We would get a big laugh out of it, we'd put it on, we'd hold our thank you notes, and it would go right into a box to go to the thrift store. Um, y'all, I'm not even joking. She gave me some sequin thing once, and I couldn't, we didn't know what it was. We didn't know if it was a tube top or miniskirt. And then something came along with it. and We didn't know if it was like a bracelet cuff or a scrunchie. I don't even know. But I never wore it, and it went straight to the thrift store. But um, this is kind of the, you pull it out of the box, and you're like, this made you think of me? Like, or you're like, what am I, I going to do with this? Or you're kind of digging a little deeper to try and find the gift receipt. But seriously, we have all had relationships like this. They are head scratchers. They cause a little more work than the average naturally loved or needed gift. We wonder the purpose of it, the function. And sometimes we may even ask the Lord, you thought of me when you saw this? Yes, even these types of relationships are a gift from God because each of these gifts, if held and received correctly, are given to make us and those around us more like Jesus. So, number one is that every person in our life is a gift. Number two is that every person in our life is mid-story, and so are you. When I was little, I had a very active imagination and I would ride in the car with my family and I'd be looking at the people in the car next to me and I'd be like, where are they going? And I'd like make up the story in my head of like what they were going to do. I even remember looking at homeless people walking down the street just wondering like what decisions they had made to get them there. And, and if they had anybody in the world who like loved them, like did they have somebody somewhere? Um, when I was 12 years old, my grandfather died. I was homeschooled at the time. And um, my mom and I pulled up to my Papa Bud's house right after my dad had found him. And we opened the door, and my dad was just hysterical. And I would never seen him like that before. And it was just a very emotional day. So I remember going out on the porch. He lived on Ottoman Boulevard. And he had this huge house and these huge stairs that went up to his front door. And his roof kind of went over. And I just remember sitting on the ledge crying and thinking about all the people that were passing by in the cars, and just thinking, they have no clue of the pain that I'm feeling right now. And they have no clue of what's going on in this house. A slight flare for the dramatic at 12. (laughs) But all this to say that whether we are aware of it or not, everyone is walking out their own stories. And they aren't random, they aren't determined by fate or made up on a whim. They are being written and determined by a sovereign and holy God. So, recently, our pastor preached a message on the authority of God and how God is the author of our lives. And since that sermon, and because the Lord knows that I need visuals because they're so helpful to me, um, he has helped me see my life as an adventure novel. It has a cover. There was a beginning. There will be an end. And all the details in, be- in between are these handwritten details. Like, sometimes they're mundane and ordinary. Sometimes they're sorrowful. Sometimes they're joyful. Sometimes they're these fun moments. But they're all written by him. And sometimes, when we turn the page of the chapter, it seems as if they're blank. But they're not. He's already written it right there in invisible ink. Have you ever used one of those invisible ink pens? My kids love them. And so when the special light shines on the ink, all that was hidden is revealed. So God has already written our stories, God, guys. And as, as we move on in life, he reveals them to us in his timing and in his plan. So He's already has the plans and purposes for your life written out. And he already has the plans and purposes for my life written out. And so sometimes these plans and purposes cross paths. Right? So, um, a lot of the people in this room I know, and our paths have crossed millions and millions of times, um, just having grown up in this church and knowing a lot of you. Um, So somewhere around my chapter of church kid and youth leader, I met a girl named Ashley Frost. And Ashley Frost went on to have her own story. And fall in love and marry a man named aaron vogel and then i went on to have my own story and fall in love and marry sammy buyer and in her story god brought her back to lakeview and gave her the vision to have mops so i started coming to mops then she asked me to lead a table and now i'm here talking for you guys so not by accident not because god isn't but because god is in the story writing business for his glory and his purpose and our good and this is where our stories intersect maybe for the first time maybe for the mil- millionth time but also somewhere around my college story chapter my story intersected whew, my story intersected with another story that was written way before there was time It seems like this one big moment where we realize that Jesus is in our story, but we look back and we see his handwriting all over everything. I was in college, and my life was a mess. I felt totally alone, completely lost, and even though I had known a lot of ideas and truths about Jesus, I didn't know the unconditional find-me-in-my-ditch-and-pull-me-out love that Jesus really is not just rules and ideas and heartless, mindless motions. So in November of 2006, God made himself known to me with his supernatural, invisible ink light and my life was forever changed. And as I kneel at the cross, aware of my constant need and my weakness, this is where you and I intersect again, that we all need Jesus. It doesn't matter what your bank account looks like, if you're in the same social status as somebody. It doesn't matter if you have one kid and somebody else has seven. It doesn't matter about all of those things, but sometimes we make it that way. What matters is that we all need Jesus, and that's where we intersect. And you never know at one point in somebody's story you're going to intersect with them. And I think what made this so real to me is my time in Mexico and my time working in the hospital with kids. You know, when you're sitting there and you're like, wonder why they act that way. And you're thinking, well, they got here because their mom wanted to go out at night. And so she would lock all four of them in the room so that she could do what she wanted to do. Or you watch that kid sitting in the pavilion waiting for their family members to come on a Sunday. And they got all dressed up waiting for them to come. And they just don't show. And they're watching all these other families come. And they're there all by themselves and you don't know at what point you're intersecting, that when I work in the hospital and I walk into a room and I have to build rapport with somebody really quick because we're about to go into surgery, and you see that there she is in fear because her autistic child is about to go into an MRI and she doesn't know how he's gonna cope. And I have to bring safety and comfort for them. Or I walk into a room and I have to explain to a 12-year-old boy that it's not his fault that he hit the golf ball 200 feet away from his sister and that she's now dead. You never know at what point you're going to intersect with people. But here's the deal. On all of our stories, every page, it says that we need Jesus. That 12-year-old needed Jesus. Those kids at the ranch needed Jesus. And at that point, we intersect, and the Lord brings me into their life to bring that to them. So we just never know, guys. But it's easy for us to be dismissive of others because we get so caught up in our own lives, right? Life is crazy, And who has time to look around and see the people kneeling beside us? Our husbands, our kids, our friends, our families. Sometimes it's just a lot easier because we know our thoughts and our intentions. We have a lot of grace for ourselves, right? But sometimes we just assume the thoughts and intentions of those around us. And we don't have the same amount of grace for those people around us, which leads us to the next point. One of the biggest obstacles to genuine love is pride. So in verse 16, it says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The word pride is one of those ugly words, isn't it? And whether we're aware of it or not, it usually is playing a role in how we interact and relate to those around us. C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin. He also said this, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, when you're looking down, you can't see something that's above you. When I read this, I saw it in two different ways, that pride can be haughty and pride can be pitiful. You can be looking down from up high and judging those around you, or you can be looking down in sadness. So we're going to hit on the haughty one first. It never sounds like this in your own head, but as I say it, it, it's always uglier when you say it out loud. But this is the, I've got it all figured out and you're an idiot, or I don't want to waste my time. Like, my time is precious. I don't have time for this. Or, I don't want to waste time on my, this talk, this issue, we've gone over this before, I don't have time for this. It's too much work, you're too much work, I know your story and I really don't want to be part of it. So I read this amazing article, Belinda had um, made copies, but I don't think they made it in here. So if you want a copy of this article, um, I read it on Desiring God's website, it's called Don't Believe Yourself, The Subtle Pride That Lies Inside by Marshall Siegel. I tried to come up with all these great examples in my life, but really, C.S. Lewis's quote filled it out more than anything I could have said. It says, pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. If we sense a lack of compassion for the needs around us or a drying up of our generosity, or a coldness in our concern for the unconverted or an indifference or even reluctance in serving or sacrificing for others we very likely have malignant cells of cancer of malignant cells of pride reproducing in our souls so check yourself and see if there would be any haughty pride cells in your soul Then we have lowly pride. So this is like the poor, pitiful me. I can't believe they said that or they treated me this way or they looked at me that way. Why didn't they call me? Why wasn't I invited? Why didn't she bring me a meal? What did that text mean? She didn't even ask if I needed help. So, This is more me than the the other one. (laughs) But um, one of the other great gifts that the Lord has given me is the gift of sister-in-laws. I can't look up or I will cry. Um, I know not many people can say this, but I have two amazingly beautiful inside and out sister-in-laws whom I love dearly and are a fabulous source of wisdom for me. The other day, I was talking to one sister-in-law who had told me what the Lord had revealed to the other sister-in-law, and now I'm going to share it with you. So it's kind of like spiritual gossip. So I loved when I heard this, because like I said, I need visuals. And I was able to like really tangibly, like hold this, feel this. And it's something that I now think of pretty much every day. So all day long, there's things and words flying at you, right? So imagine them to be like arrows. So you've got social media, you've got people talking, you've got your husband talking, you've got your kids talking, you've got things that you're reading. All these things are flying at you like arrows. And so for some reason or another, almost to no explanation, an arrow flies close and you grab it. And you look at it, and you ponder it, and then you shove it in your heart. And so it hurts, right? Like, it it really hurts. Like, there's a lot of pain involved. You feel it, but guess what, guys? It was completely self-inflicted. It wasn't supposed to be there. It wasn't intended to be there. It wasn't even aimed there. But for some reason, whether your hormones are out of whack, whether you've had a crazy day with the kids, or whether somebody just hit on one of your insecurities, you grabbed it, you shoved it in your heart, and now you're injured. Like, you're injured bad, and now you you got to deal with that. So one of the examples I have from my life is early on in our marriage. um, You know, we had kids shortly after we were married. And so here I am taking care of two babies that were really close to each other. And my husband kindly walked into the house one day and told me, you know, when I come home from work and I want a snack, there's tons of snacks and food for the kids. But, like, there's really nothing for me to eat in the house. So he was just making me aware of it. I didn't take it that way. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, he feels neglected. Oh my gosh, I'm like, you know, being a terrible wife, or oh, oh my gosh, why doesn't he see that I'm just so busy that, I mean, who cares, eat the kid's snacks. But that's, <laughs> but that's not what he was doing, he just was making me aware of it. So it kind of became an insecurity that I wanted to make sure that like, he felt like he wasn't on the back burner. And so, um, so then, like a couple weeks later, he opens the refrigerator and he says, hey, is there any food in the house? Just like that. He is so frustrated right now. He wasn't frustrated, guys. (laughs) He is not grateful for all the work that I do in this house. Doesn't he see like I'm drowning out here? It's not what he was doing. Then the anger comes (laughs) in. He is a grown man. Doesn't he see that my hand is up a baby's butt right now? He can figure out a snack for himself. And then the sin just starts rolling, <laughs> y'all. And that, that's what it looks like in my life. But I know what some of y'all are thinking. Some arrows are not self-inflicted. Some of them are pointed at our hearts, and they strike, and they hurt, and it's a mean blow. So what do you do then? Well, we raise our heads up at the foot of the cross, and we see our husbands. We see a friend. We see a child kneeling right next to us, and we read the rest of the scripture in Romans. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So is this easy? No. (laughs) No, it's not. But is it like Jesus? Yes. In this fallen world, we will be hurt, we will be offended, and we will be sinned against, and there will be scars. But imagine a day when we stand face to face with Jesus and we see his hands and his feet and the scars that were there because of his love for us. And then we look at our hearts and we see the scars that we have because of our love for others. And we resemble our father. There's no one else that I want to look like. I don't know about you guys. But all of this to be said, how do we do it? How do we receive the relationships in our life like gifts and how Do we see people and give people the grace to be mid-story? And how do we check our pride? How do we do all of this? Well, this is what brings us to verse 12, that you rejoice in hope, you be patient in tribulation, and you be constant in prayer. So rejoice in hope. And this time in Romans, it was written a couple years, a lot of years, after Jesus died. But these people were fresh off of his coming, his dying, and his raising from the dead. They knew firsthand where their hope was from. It wasn't some vague idea. It was tangible. And you know what, guys? So is ours. Our hope is tangible. So when people come to you with their difficulties, when you go to people with their difficulties, y'all, there is hope. We're not hopeless because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. So we should be giving people that hope. It doesn't matter if you've ever been in their situation or not. We all need Jesus. And the truth of who Jesus is, is enough to cover any tribulation and any trial. So a person who's done this in my life is that that woman over there. Good old Liz Widener. Um, there was a season in my life where um, my husband was unemployed. I had a five-year-old and a four-year-old. I was completely overwhelmed by life. You know, we were making it month to month, barely, and I just had no clue. I felt forgotten by God and just very overwhelmed. And then I found out I was pregnant. And I know it sounds terrible to be upset about being pregnant, and now I, you know, punch myself because I got my, my sweet little fin out of it. But in that time, it was not a joy to me. And my kids were being nuts one night. Sam wasn't home, and I locked myself in my laundry room, and I just started crying and I could not speak truth. I couldn't get there in my head. And so the only person who knew that it possibly could have been happening was Liz. And so I picked up the phone and I called her, and she said so many nuggets of wisdom, but the only thing that I really remember is her saying, Abby, God doesn't make mistakes. And right then and there, truth filled my heart, and she rejoiced with me in hope. She gave me hope because there's a plan, there's a purpose, and she made me aware of that when I couldn't see it. So that's what we do. We rejoice with people in hope. We are patient in tribulation. So at this time, Stephen had been stoned. Peter had been crucified upside down. James had been executed. And now they were experiencing some serious trials. And so are some of you. And so are the people that you're walking with. So some tribulations aren't quick fixes. And patience is needed to walk through it while rejoicing in hope when you walk with someone and they're suffering, you do take on their burdens, y'all. But here's the cool thing, they aren't your burdens. They are God's. The tribulation or the person is not the main character of the story, but God is. And when we really trust the author of the story and the truth that he is truly working all things together for your good and their good, then you can have peace that surpasses all understanding. And you can weep with those who weep and you can rejoice with those who rejoice. And there are no exceptions whether in cancer or in death or an empty bank account or a crumbling marriage or an addiction or even in just the everyday exhaustion, wherever you find yourself and the ones that he calls you to love, it is his kindness to make you aware of how much you need him and to put his great faithfulness and goodness on display. So then be constant in prayer. So honestly, once you grasp where your hope lies and your desperate need for Jesus prayer kind of comes naturally, (laughs) at least it does for me. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And usually we use that as a negative connotation. It's like you use that with your kids and you're like, your heart's ugly, like watch your mouth. And, but really the same could be true on the other side. If your heart is filled with genuine love for others, you will find your heart, your mind and your mouth constantly speaking prayers to God on their behalf. This past season of my life, the Lord has blessed me with an amazing group of friends Um, through circumstances that I never would have put together. And if you look at our lives, technically, we shouldn't be friends. But again, because of who Jesus is, he's done that. And I can't look at certain people or else I'm going to cry. But we've been through some terrible stuff together, guys. You know, we've been through sickness and we've been through crumbling marriages and we've been through just difficulty of dealing with our own sin and just life changes. And he has planted genuine love in my heart for these people. And we have had to be patient in tribulations, just long times of things. And, and he puts and births within you genuine love for people. And y'all, I can say without a doubt that every day when the Lord brings these people to my mind, I'm praying for them because it's all I know to do because I can't fix them. So when we realize that we are not in control of fixing people, then we can love people because only God can do that. When I sit there, instead of being hurt by my husband, I see that there is an enemy who's going after his heart, who's going after our marriage, who's going after my kids. When I see that I can't change any of that, I'm forced to my knees to pray because only he can do the work. And there's freedom in that, guys. There's freedom in loving people when you realize you can't fix them. So, in closing... There's going to be some awesome story writing moments this summer. I don't know about y'all, but summers get harder. (laughs) Um, And so there's going to be some fun chapters of vacations and splash pads and baseball and so on. But there will also be some mom fails and exhaustion and maybe even a few blow-ups. But let me assure you that genuine love can also be identified in an I'm sorry. Um, The other night, Titus was having one of his, like, nighttime moments you'll know what i mean like how your kids become monsters at night and you're like where's my son um and he was being an ugly man and you know he did your like i did my thing i prayed over him and i think probably because i was getting for, ready for this my heart was kind of tender to loving on them and so um i didn't respond bad i just was really just loving him just prayed over him and i went and started doing laundry and all of a sudden i feel this little presence behind me and he is standing there tearful and he goes mom Mom, I'm sorry for being disrespectful. Will, will you forgive me? And I hugged him, and I kissed his head, and I said, of course I'll forgive you. So we've started this thing with them since they were babies. And, um, and so we say the same thing. And we say, do you know why Mom can forgive you? And he's like, well, at this point, he knows the answer. <laughs> he goes, yes. And I was like, why is that? And he goes, because Jesus forgave you. And I said, yeah, so I forgive you now, and I'll forgive you every time. And so... He learned that because I've had to apologize to him a lot, <laughs> a lot. And so sometimes genuine love is identified, in, and I'm sorry, and in real moments of humility. So there are no stipulations that genuine love can only be done perfectly. Only one could do that, and he did it. And he died so that we could show those around us our need for him daily. He will use our brokenness and our humility to make beautiful things in our stories and in the stories of the ones around us. The end. <laughs>